I was singing that song, and it, one of the lines was, all creation worships you. And then I think of all of the humans, puny little tiny specks in the universe, who refuse to worship our great God. But we have these great works of creation, the sun, the moon, the stars, the gigantic stars, all in alignment, worshiping God today. The heavens declare the glory of God. That's what it says in the word of God. His, the hands, the works of his hands uh, declare his greatness. I'm glad to be a part of the worshiping world of creation right now, aren't you? Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning with full hearts already. Thank you. It's, it's been so good to worship with God's people, to lift up our praises and to lift up our prayers and to lift, to know that you're lifting up our hearts because you love us and we love you back. We are grateful, so grateful to be in the gospel, to be a part of the family of God, to, be, to, to, to dwell as, as sheep in your pasture to be loved by you, oh God, we thank you. We, we just pray now that you would open up our hearts and our minds of understanding to your word that it might be fully applied to our lives, oh God. This is a serious matter that we're about to embark upon. Every time, Lord, you give us the words of life. To reject them means death. It's life and death. And you say, choose life. And so, our Father, this morning, I pray that that would be the choice of all of us here, to choose life. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. Now, I know at communion, you're used to seeing my pastor buddy right beside me there, and, and um, it's not that he's madly in love with powers or anything, and he's wanted to slip over there, although he does, I think, love you in the, in the Lord, the right kind, in the right kind of way. But um, our video department has sought to spare me two embarrassments. One, the reason that I'm on the big screen here is because I'm vertically challenged. And when I speak to you from the floor, there are people upstairs who couldn't see me, so they've got me up here on the screen. And the second is they didn't want my pastor buddy to be, for me to be preaching, putting him to sleep, and for you to see that happening every Sunday. So there is nobody behind to distract you and to embarrass me. And that's what this is kind of all about. Well, um, there is a paper, or was a paper, I'm not sure if it's still in existence, a newspaper, the Piqua Democrat from, if anybody's from Ohio, and I'm saying that wrong, it's from Piqua, Ohio, um, that was first um, credited with giving us one of our common expressions. Um, you don't judge a book by its cover. Anybody ever used that expression? I'm sure we all pretty much know that expression and have used it. And that actually was first written, uh, apparently, in 1867. At least that's the first record I could find of it in the Pequot Democrat, June 1867. And uh, the full, actually, text of that is, don't judge a book by its cover, see a man by his cloth, as there is often a good deal of solid worth and superior skill 
underneath a green jacket and yellow pants or yellow pants. I mean, you get the, uh, the, you get the idea that a guy in a green jacket and yellow pants, one might draw a conclusion that there's not a whole lot going on inside of that particular person. But, but in fact, uh, that's where we get this whole idea. And there were a number of, of those kind of phrases that that we know or that we use. Uh, the proof is in the pudding. You've probably used that one before. Um, we actually used that one incorrectly. That came from 1605, Pastor Kelvin, believe it or not. I, you just like pudding. Well, in, interestingly, <laughs> interestingly, I, I, just because you're sitting out of range, I'm not going to let, let you uh, miss out on this interaction here. But interestingly, Kelvin, you will be interested to know that the full phrase is this, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. All right, that's the full phrase. And uh, that, that kind of is right up your alley. But, um, <laughs> but um, anyway, you can see why these guys get distance from me. But we're used, to, we're used to using those kind of phrases where we want to tell each other, you know, don't, don't judge the inside of me by the outside because there's, there may be a lot more going on than you think. But I want to tell you this morning that, that there is a type of teaching that Christ brings to us whereby you are invited to judge the inside by the outside. So if you have your Bibles, and I trust you do, and I'm going to enjoy hearing the leaves turning in the pages, Matthew chapter 13. I know some of you have electronic things out there, and that's okay, I guess, if you feel the need to have that, but I like to hear the pages turning. And um, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives us a teaching type called parables. You've heard of parables. I've preached parables. You've studied them. Um, parables are a specific kind of teaching that Jesus chose, in particular, when he was speaking to a crowd of people uh, whereby there were some believers and some were unbelievers. And he gives an explanation in Matthew 13 that I want to point out to you. And he talks to us about the purpose of parables. And I want to introduce that before we actually deal with the specific parable today. In uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 10, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him, Why do you speak to people in parables? He answered, he replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Referring to many in the crowd. This is a hard teaching, but again, it's it's the truth that's given to us. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Okay, I'm going to explain this in a, few, a second here. Those seen, he goes on then to, to quote from the Old Testament, those seen they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, you will be ever hearing but never understanding, you will be ever seen but never perceiving, for, and here's a key, for this people's heart has become calloused, hardened to the things of God. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Then he says to his disciples, but blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. 
For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. This is, this is really um, where the rubber hits the road in terms of, of our uh, responsibility uh, that God places upon us with how we handle the word of God. And uh, there are great stakes at, at, um, at, um, on, on the table here for us. So why again does he speak in parables? He really states here to test spiritual aptitude. To test for spiritual appetite. He says you are responding, they are not. The purpose of parables is to provide an honest assessment of your heart and my heart. You either have or you do not have. That's what this is all about. Parables either will cause you to be confused and reject and turn away from Jesus or you pursue a deeper understanding of Christ's truth and put into action what you are taught. That's why he taught in parables. Now, in this particular case in Matthew 13, unlike some of the other sermons we've shared with you, whereby Jesus was just teaching his disciples, in this particular case, he's teaching the crowd. It says in the first verses, the crowd was pressing upon him so much so that he had to step into a boat so that he could get some distance and be able to, to, be able to speak to them. And so within the crowd, there's a variety of individuals and their response to the word of God. Not dissimilar to this particular gathering this morning. This is a crowd of people with a variety of spiritual appetites and aptitudes, I would suspect. Now this morning, what we really want to drill down into then in this parable that's very familiar to most of you, I'm sure, the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soil, what we really want to investigate is to examine our own lives on the basis of this parable to see who we really are from the outside in. And it's really appropriate when we come to the table of the Lord to do an examination of our lives. In fact, we're urged by the uh, by Paul in his epistle, to, to examine yourself when you come to the Lord's table. Throughout the New Testament, there's these examinations. See, test, if, see if you are of the faith. It's, it's a crisis, crisis issue. None of us want to get to the very end of our lives with some sort of false sense of security and find out that we really weren't part of the family of God. So Jesus continues in his, his teaching ministry to urge people to be very serious about what's going on inside of their hearts. And so he teaches in a parable. So are you really spiritually alive? And in particular... Do you have an appetite for the things of God? I, I want to um, take you now to the parable. I've already read a, a middle text for you, and I want to read the parable to you and the explanation of the parable, and then we're going to talk about it, all right? So look at verse 3. Then he told them many things in parables. This is the start of, of his parable te parabolic teaching. Um, 
saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Now over to verse um, 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. Jesus in this case told the parable and then told the meaning of the parable. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Well, this is the word of God to us this morning. All right. A, a couple of introductory um, um, insights or descriptions before we, we dig into this text. Number one, um, we're looking at seed, sower, and soil. Now, the sower, or sowers, as the case may be, are in this particular case all sowing the same seed. And the seed we understand by the, the text here is the word of God. So this is the the parable is all about whoever sows the truth of God's word. The only variable in this story is the state of the soils with which the seeds are sown. You see that? And in this particular case, I think Jesus is exhaustive in all the categories there are. There are four different types of people in the world. And four different types of people in any gathering, in any crowd like this. And in particular, there are four different types of people who gather to hear the word of God sown into their lives. Now this is where it starts to change. By the way, I think we can also draw a very, very important conclusion that on the basis of how Jesus is teaching here, he is telling us that his people are revelation-based people. That's who we are. We are people of the word of God, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revelation of God. We are not experience or observation-based people. And that is a critically important reality for us, particularly living in the, the times we live in. Even within religious circles, there are those who are pushing uh, crowding out, hammering against the revelation of Jesus Christ from their experiences or their observations. 
There's nothing wrong with experiences generally, and there's nothing wrong with observations. But where an observation or an experience conflicts with the revelation of Jesus Christ, we pick revelation every time. That's crucial for us. In fact, the, the essence of this parable is urging us to be like that. This is who my people are. They are people who have a fertile soil for the word of God. They are the ones who, who have spiritual receptivity, who, who invite the word of God into their lives, respond to it, and bear fruit. Not on the basis of experience, not on the basis of observation, on the basis of welcoming the revelation of God to us. That's what's taught here. And there's no, there's no wavering from that. There's no leeway on this. Now, they all hear God's word. So let me make the point this morning that I believe that's exactly what's going to happen here this morning. You're all hearing God's word. So you're the same as these people, in the same situation as these people. So the question is, what spiritual environment this morning are you offering the word of God? That's the central question of your life. The key question, and there are four possibilities. We'll look at them. The first possibility is you may be offering a hard place, a path it's called in this text, a very hard place, no place to grow. I think the key understanding of this type of person is found in verse 19 where it says that the, they, they, uh, the seed is sown and this individual does not understand it. And there's a reason they don't understand it. Not because the word of God is un not understandable, but rather because by their choice, to have a heart, as Jesus already said, a calloused heart to reject the word of God. The word of God doesn't penetrate their hearts. They already come with a predisposition toward the teachings of Christ, the word of God, the revelation of God, that I don't have room in my life for this. I'm interested to listen to it. I'm curious. I, I find it uh, fascinating to listen to. Intellectually, I'm okay with it. But I don't have any receptivity to the truth moving into my life. That's the hard place, the hard path. And, and there's a huge, gigantic warning here. Jesus makes the point in verse 12, whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Why? Because there's a persistent commitment to rejection of God's truth. I listen to it. I don't do anything about it. Every time I hear it, I just walk away from it. Nothing changes in my life. I, I'm, I walk away cold. And Jesus says, every time you reject the truth that's given to you, it makes it harder for you to respond or receive the truth the next time you hear it. We all know this callous thing means. I'm working on something over and over again, taking the same thing, and eventually I get a hardened place on my hand. It becomes calloused and nothing can penetrate it. It's the same thing. You, you may come in here at one time in your life with a really soft, malleable heart, willing to receive the things of God, but you decided to reject it. 
And the next time, it was easier to reject. And the next time, it became easier to reject. And ultimately, it gets to the place where you're so hardened that you can't understand anything that's being taught to you. In fact, today, you're completely bewildered. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I have no clue what he's even talking about. That's a bad sign. That's a really, really heart-bad sign if you have no idea what I'm talking about this morning. In fact, Dallas Willard, in his book, The Renovation of the Heart, which is an outstanding book, writes this, the ultimately lost person cannot want God. They cannot want God to be God. The teaching here is that because they don't apply it, because they don't receive it, because they don't welcome it, it actually becomes food for Satan. He actually just consumes it. They're completely controlled by Satan. He takes it away. It's gone. If you keep rejecting, there is a deadly, deadly warning here that Satan just keeps cherry-picking your life and you can get too far gone. Your life is spiritually hard. It belongs to Satan and in, impenetrable to spiritual things. And there is a risk that you could become completely spiritually immovable. And a non-starter as a disciple. That's the one saw. The second is a, a shallow place. Trouble displaces discipleship. I think the key word to note here as you're looking at this is that they receive it with joy. Now that caused me to think about uh, why is this person shallow? Why did he become shallow? It seems to me that um, there are some people who have responded to the teachings of Christ for the wrong reasons, with the wrong motives. In fact, um, they responded perhaps out of a personal crisis in their life where, where a situation was really bottomed out. And, and who of us haven't responded to Christ in that way? I mean, I, I'm not discounting that for the most part. That's the story of all of our lives. We came to some place in our life where we said, I need Jesus Christ. I need a change in my life. But, but I'm talking about a certain category of person I think Jesus is referring to here who, who um, uh, emotionally, primarily, chooses Christianity. I'll give it a go because... Maybe it'll change my life. Maybe it'll make me happy. And then at the first piece of trouble that comes their way, there's like, wait a minute. I didn't sign up for that. I, I was told by some preacher that if I said yes to Jesus, my life was going to be happy, happy, happy all the day long. I sang in the first service, didn't I? The boys were, were catcalling me back here telling me to leave it to the music department to sing. And so being the submissive, respectful kind of guy I am, I will do just that. We have this person who is only emotionally invested in Jesus so long as Jesus can give them really good things. The possibility here is that uh, when your hope is mostly placed on blessings instead of the blesser, 
pride or dissatisfaction will overwhelm you. That's the story here. The sun scorched them, trouble came their way, and they fell away. That's what it says here in the text. See, too often um, people are really, they have a shallow understanding of what Christianity is all about. Judas was this kind of person. He wanted Jesus for what he could get out of Jesus. He wanted Jesus because he thought Jesus was going to liberate them from Rome and he was going to get a major political appointment in this great new nation of God. And when Jesus didn't come through with exactly what he wanted, he fell away. This is the possibility for us. If we want the blessings, but not really the blesser. And it causes us sometimes to be proud. We start to say stuff now, I, I think that I have the right to bargain with God. After all, I'm a child of the king. He should give me health all the time. He should give me wealth and prosperity all the time. Uh, I should feel happy all the time. That's, uh, that's what I signed up for. He should answer prayers the way I want him to answer prayers. Because that's what I signed up for. I deserve better. And then when better doesn't come, we become so dissatisfied with Jesus. I've counseled so many people who are just simply disappointed with Jesus. You know what? We have every right to be disappointed with our life, but never disappointed with Jesus. Never. Jesus never disappoints us. If the Lord Jesus Christ never does another thing for you, he has done more by far than any of us deserve. That he has saved us, sinners, rejecters of God, and granted us his Holy Spirit and a relationship with the Father and a promise of heaven if he does nothing else for us. He hasn't disappointed us. We can be disappointed with our life, but not with Jesus. And so this person falls away from being a disciple. There's a third kind. It's, um, I know I would call it a crowded place because there's just too many things going on and they're crowding out the things of God. In fact, if you notice, the only thing growing in this kind of person is thorns. It says the thorns grew, but there's no fruit growing. What's happening here? Well, it, quite simply, this is a, the, the place where um, so much activity, so much of the world has, is, is preoccupying our thinking and our ambitions and, and our, our, our desires that we are crowding out any possibility of kingdom crop. It's choked out. And in particular here, he draws out two things, worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. And that always catches my attention, the deceitfulness of wealth, because whenever I'm preaching to a North American audience, we are very, very susceptible. We are very, very vulnerable because we are 
by world standards, wealthy people. And so he points to these two key things, the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth as being the preoccupation of an individual and there's no room for the spiritual disciplines, there's no room for, for uh, receiving the, the teachings of Christ, there's no room for investing my thinking, my understanding, my energies on the things of God. And the only thing that's growing are thorns. And they're choking the life out of anything of spiritual value for me. Being well off can grant you pleasures that deceive you into thinking your spiritual situation is better than it really is. That's the danger of having things. Look at us. We're blessed, at least by the description of the material, the physical. We are blessed, 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 blessed. We have a bounty. Go to the grocery store after church if you have the liberty to shop on Sunday. Just go. Look around. We have a bounty of things. And as a result, we are in danger of the, the very thing Jesus taught in Revelation chapter 3 uh, when he's talking about one of the churches, the church of Laodicea, he says this in 3.17, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, I do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. In this case, the outside might be deceiving us. That's the deceitfulness of wealth. That's the deceitfulness of wealth. You might be looking at the outside and think the inside must be good because everything's going all right. The deceitfulness of wealth tells us that we've done enough because we've done a lot. The deceitfulness of wealth tells us that we are good because we are blessed. The deceitfulness of wealth tells us we deserve because we have. The deceitfulness of wealth tells us that we can because we can. And the deceitfulness of wealth will turn us into unfruitful people. And that's a disaster. These are church-going, healthy, wealthy, in need of nothing kind of people growing thorns instead of fruit. Plenty of potential, but unable to become a true disciple. Because the Word of God tells us this in Matthew 3, in Matthew 7, that whatever the Lord finds that's unfruitful, says he takes an axe and chops it and throws it into the fire. That's a scary, scary thing. But here's what my heart's hope is for all of us, is that we are the fourth kind, which is a responsive place. We hear, we obey from the heart, producing maximum spiritual potential. We're called good soil, I hope. Spiritually responsive people, welcoming the kingdom ways of Christ. Keep in mind that the Lord Jesus Christ was about to share with them as he was teaching that the kingdom that he was talking about was not going to be the kingdom they were looking for. It was not going to be a liberating kingdom from Rome. It was going to be virtually an invisible, mysterious kingdom. One that would be held in their hearts until he came again. 
And he's talking here about those who can actually receive that and welcome it. Can you handle that, Jesus is saying? Can you handle that truth, the mysterious, the secret part of this reality that, that, that I'm going to come and live uh, secretly in your heart. I, I'm going to be relatively invisible. The kingdom of God is, is not going to be easy for you to point to and say, there it is or here it is. Can you handle that? Because that's what I'm offering. And those who can, those who have the responsive soil and, and receive this spiritual teaching, I will grant them more understanding and more willingness to receive. Responding positively to Christ's teaching qualifies us to be invited deeper into the inner workings of Jesus. Isn't that what he says? He says in verse 12, whoever has will be given more. The inner workings of kingdom mysteries. There will be more aha moments to those who say, I love to understand the word of God. I must understand this. Lord God, help me to understand this. I want to receive this. I want to welcome this. And we are able to because Christ honors that kind of receptivity. That's how you come to church on Sunday morning. Oh God, I am hungry for the things of, of God. I'm hungry for your word. Teach me your word. Help me to understand your word. Help me to apply your word. Uh, help me to understand the deep things of God. And he will. That's what he promises here. And to those who have that kind of heart, you bear maximum potential fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. I think it's a really important teaching here. We don't compare ourselves to each other. We have different capacities, God-given and based upon our own commitment to this. Now, what God gives us, he gives us without restraint here. I give you all the potential to be a spiritual giant. I'll give you myself. I'll give you my heart. I'll give you certain talents, certain capabilities, certain gifts, certain physical opportunities. I'll give you all of that. Now, it's up to you to make sure your soil welcomes and responds to all of that. And if you do, then the combination of how God has made you and your full all-in will make you a 30-fold or a 60-fold or a 100-fold. Now, our all-in will not all be the same. It won't have the same capacity to bear fruit. That's why we don't look at each other. There are some people who are 100-fold because they are maximizing what God gave them and maximizing the capacities that God gave them and maximizing their effort, grace-driven, and they're 100-fold. There are others who are absolutely maximizing their capacities that God gave them, maximizing their grace-driven effort, and they're 60-fold fruit bearers. That's the way it is. The key is to be all in. And if you are, the promise is here, you will bear maximum potential fruit. And you bring glory to God. So life is in the seed and not the soil, but soil is either hostile or hospitable for growth, and that, says Jesus, depends on each person's response to the gift of seeing and hearing. And so the truth is this, fruit is the proof that hearing and seeing is happening in your life. Do you have spiritual ears? Jesus shouts at you, hear! Do something to prove it. Our Father and our God, 
as we bow and pause now for prayer, as we transition to the table uh, whereby we claim our commitment and our full loyalty to you, O oh God. It is a moment of soul searching right now. And so I pray, Lord, in the few moments of reflection we're going to take right now that you, by the work and power of your Holy Spirit, will cause our hearts to be honest to ourselves because we all know that our hearts are laid bare before you. You know exactly the truth. But Father, self-deception is a very, very bad business. Help us now as we come to this table of loyalty to examine our hearts based upon the word of God this morning, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna say as just before we transition our time to the table of the Lord, that there are four kinds of people, possibly four types of people in the room this morning. And uh, I think it requires of us just having a pause to make sure that we reflect upon this truth as it relates to us. This is not a generic teaching. This is a very, very specific and personal teaching. It must be personalized this morning. Jesus taught in parables, and I have followed that tradition to teach in his parable so that you might examine your heart and see if you have a spiritual appetite and a spiritual aptitude. If not, right now is the time to do business with God. So the, the four types, again, maybe you came here this morning, uh, you arrived resistant to the things of God. Your heart is becoming hardened and calloused. All I can say to you is this, do not leave here cold to the things of God. This is your opportunity this morning to put an end to that and say, oh God, I have been cold to you. I understand, I have been rejecting and resistant and I long to have my heart softened to receive and welcome the things of God. Or maybe you're that second kind of person and, and uh, you received the Lord with enthusiasm years ago or some time ago and, and you had such a good thing going with God and then for some reason some trouble came into your life or something really heavy came into your life or even maybe now something is really, really in your life and you're just saying, Lord, I feel like I'm falling away because uh, I'm, I'm not handling this trouble very well and I, I, I'm not rooted deep enough and oh God, I, I need something different. I know that I'm, 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 I'm very, very very, very thin ice right now. Or maybe you're that person who's uh, allowed your life to become totally consumed by all kinds of distractions, all kinds of things of the world. And everything around you is growing except for your spiritual heart. Your life isn't growing. But all this other stuff you're investing in is doing just fine. And it's crowding out any potential fruit bearing that God wants you to have. Or there's the fourth kind. And that's where we need to be. We need to be totally responsive and receptive to the things of God and come to this table in a few moments and say, oh God, I, I'm yours. I'm all yours. I'm all in. Bear fruit. Help me to bear fruit. I love you. I trust you. 
I want to be good soil. I want to be better soil than I've ever been. That's what I hope your prayer is. Well, this is a reflection time. And then we're going to sit at the table of the Lord. There are four kinds of people in any church. Far away, fallen away, unfruitful, and fruitful. And those who truly are followers of Jesus Christ bear much fruit. Our Father and our God, we thank you this morning that it was our privilege to be under the teaching and the hearing of your word. And our Father, our prayer is that you would find in our hearts soft receptivity to the things of God, that you might cause us to understand fully what you have taught us this morning, and as a result of understanding, hearing, understanding, seeing, producing much fruit in our lives, I pray, Father, for your glory's sake, amen.